What's up? How are you? Thank you so much for listening to Soul Sugar Conversations, the minds behind timeless R&B and soul music, a podcast for old souls, those young at heart, but especially the music heads, hosted by yours truly, Brooks, with an S like Soul Sugar, a 20-something super fan of 70s and 80s jazz, soul, funk, and everything in between, but especially that period in that era. The strings, the horns, the arrangements, the medleys, the chord progressions, just everything. I believe that good music hasn't gone anywhere. So that's why I started Soul Sugar Joint. I did not know that other people felt so strongly about the connections that I make between classic and contemporary soul music. And it's great to know that there's other people who dig deep, who care about the liner notes, who have to know who produced it, who can identify samples by ear. Y'all are my people. Now this community has grown way past TikTok and is on Instagram and on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platforms. Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed the Soul Sugar Conversation. Today's guest needs no introduction. He is a Grammy Award-winning mixing engineer and producer. He has worked on your favorite albums. I'm absolutely certain of it. He's worked with Timbaland, Donny Hathaway, Roberta Flack, Brandy, Aaliyah. Um, I was really hyped to know that he worked with the internet as well. And we're going to get all into it. This is Jimmy Douglas, everybody. Hey, y'all. So how are you doing today? Very good, very good. Awesome. So where are you presently? I'm in Miami. Okay. Where my studio is, that's where I've kind of been stationed for like the last maybe, uh, I'd say 12, 15 years. Yeah, what have been um, some of your favorite albums that you've worked on since being in Miami? Uh, well, I guess I kind of did, I guess I've done some Justin Timberlake records and, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's harder to focus on the more recent ones than the ones that were way in the way, way past. And it, well, let's start there. Well, I mean, no, it could be because the way, way past, I was, um, my mom, I was, a, you know, young kid running around. So I remembered everything. It was so precious. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of like, you know, and music is also not quite as special anymore. I don't mean it like that. It's special for those that receive it that way. But for me, the novelty of like, oh my God, that's amazing. I don't get a lot of those. Um, and, and a big part of that is because the technology has a lot of us all sounding the same. Mm-hmm. Not putting anybody, I, I always have to say this, not putting anybody down. We are all a product of our, our generations and what's around us. And, and right now, anybody can go get a computer and make some music that's synthetic music and it sounds like the next guy because we've all got the same samples loaded in our machines as opposed to bringing in different players which which are they're different by design yes absolutely you know and uh and there's you know there'll be four or five or six or seven writers just for the top line when actually it's a very simple message you know i know you you know me we want to get together let's be free okay that was simple. wasn't great lyrics, but it was a set of lyrics, and it came all from me, as opposed to having four people come in the middle and change every one of those words to make them politically correct and sellable. And that's kind of what I feel music is. I mean, it's it's good. The stuff is really good, but sometimes I'm just like, it's devoid of the human element, which is what we do on the daily. Well, I don't know what we do on the daily anymore, but that's what we used to do on the daily. 
Yeah, speak to that, the humanness that you used to find in music and who you felt really embodied that. Oh, I mean, I, I think I think most of the artists back in the day embodied that. Like, like you, you know, you didn't get there unless you had that. You know, a lot of people are getting there that don't have that because they can fake it, basically. And, and, and our definition of fake it until you make it was still you had to learn a craft to get there. There was a there was a discipline that was in there that was that that's kind of um, sometimes missing and sometimes it just looks a little different. I'm not saying people aren't disciplined now, but you know you can you can be making music and communicating. You could do it within a, a week now or a month. You don't have to sit there and learn to play an instrument and shed for a year or two and get the discipline of having to. Okay, I'm committed. I'm committed. And as you commit, you learn. And as you learn, you grow. And as you grow, even when you, you know, it's really interesting. Even when you, we would still try to, we would still try to make music based off music we heard, let's say on the radio or by other people. But understand this, we didn't sit with the record and listen to it verbatim and copy what they did. We would just take the idea of what they did and we would do it our way. Mm. And that's why the different records while they were kind of close, they weren't really close because your idea of what you thought the record sounded like is not what the record sounded like. And I got to say now, what you do is you take the record, you put it on your little thing, you keep repeating all the parts till you find the same exact parts they had, and you put it into your mix, you put it into your thing, and so all you've got is a, a copy of what they did. Mm. And um, I'm not saying it's not creative, and I keep, I keep going, to, I keep saying this over and over not putting anybody down we're all product of our of what's around and what's available and i have a feeling if i was if i was 18 i'd be doing that i'd be doing it too because i want you just want to get in very right? true am i wrong no not at all and everything that you're saying i absolutely hear where you're coming from because i can only imagine what being in those sessions were like um because i know a bit of your story you worked at atlantic records but it's funny how you got into it because it was just a way to pay for school right and that's how you got to see the sessions that were going on that were happening. Exactly, exactly. Theoretically, that's what it was to be okay. to pay for school. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> after I saw that stuff, I what's school for what? <laughs> I did it anyway. I mean, I went to Fordham University. And, <laughs> uh, one of the things that was interesting was like they wouldn't let me get on a lot of sessions because they were going, well, you're not. You're not full time and you're not really working here, so we're not going to let you work on a lot of stuff. And I'm like, yo, I can ditch the college. <laughs> right. Say the word. Say the word. You know <laughs> Especially because it was the a wild lineup. I mean, you were working with, like, I keep bringing up Aretha Franklin just because she is the queen of soul music and um, is no longer with us. But it's just incredible that in that time, you know, to see them working through something or to hear them play out different melodies and just understand what that was to just be in the atmosphere. Do you feel like that shaped the your approach for mixing even to today, the way that you heard it back then? It, it absolutely did. And, and, and I will say, I'm not, while I'm going to say this statement, I was going to say it was kind of seamless. It wasn't always totally seamless. It wasn't always mm -hmm. that easy, but I will say that the solutions came a lot more reasonable. Like when you mentioned people like Aretha or Donny Hathaway, it's like whatever little problem they were going to have, they could figure out ways around it really quickly because the their talent basket was so thick. 
many different you know options to play with um and and i find now you know many of the modern artists and i'm not not all of them but some they depend on what i do to make it work for them in other words they come to the studio expecting that i can do all the tricks that i used to do the tricks back in the day after aretha donnie roberta you name it after they've done a stellar performance which doesn't really need the tricks when i do my tricks it only enhanced it and took it all to another level but those performances i was working with when they would get on the mic they would perform and you know we're not performing anymore we're just we're doing bits and pieces to fill in the the, the data um that's that's kind of what it is and then we mm-hmm. take the data and we manipulate it later and you know and do all kinds of stuff to it to make it feel um i call it more like uh i don't i well i don't know when you grew up but but did you used to watch um those cartoons on saturday morning no no uh into another era but so what what would happen was before that they would have all the cartoons on saturday morning like when i was a kid and stuff and then like you know for uh tricks tricks are for kids and all that kind of crap did on those commercials has always stuck with me because what they did was they would always oh and even for my kids when i had my kids why they i let them watch that stuff and basically all of the commercials went like this to be like and the thing would pop out and wow and and you know to keep the kids the whole zazzle and so basically that's to me what records are trying to be they're trying to capture people's zazzle who did you zazz me there did you zazz me there which doesn't really have anything to do with a performance by an artist because that alone will capture you absolutely yeah i i hear what you're saying the people making music and even doing previews on TikTok that are only seven seconds long, you know, it can be overstimulating or they're just trying to get your attention. So then it can go viral and they can get, you know, either it's a record deal or it just the sales and the streams that they want. Um, and I'm really glad that you're talking about this because that was going to be the question that I asked you and how long your career has been. How do you stay open minded or what is your you know, thought process or feelings around seeing this evolution in music because it almost reminds me of um, I read a book about Soul Train Don Cornelius and how he you know started at the prime of the 70s and all these different acts and then he had to get with the times and it just transformed into a completely different show and he wasn't feeling it anymore because it's like this is not where it started so I just would love to hear you even elaborate more on it like share your hearts <laughs> well you know the so there is a key part in my career that I don't really talk about. It's really kind of hard to talk about. Mm. It, this all, this is all in the book, by the way, um, that will be coming. Yes. You know, like so through the, uh, you know, through being the little, the little kid, and honestly, little kid, they they couldn't even pay me up at Atlantic because I was so young. They couldn't put me in the payroll. Illegal back then to pay somebody under sixteen. So they, I was getting paid, but not on the books. And um, and so, you know, that, that's what I started there. But through that period and all the great music that I made, which went into the 70s and the rock and roll and the foreigners and the Rolling Stones and all that stuff, which was um, amazing. That's all I can say. And um, and then as I rolled into the 80s, I was doing a lot of funk and slave and so forth. But music was changing. Uh, as you know, towards the end of the 80s, the, the street mode uh let me interrupt the story for one second because I was on the I was 
I was on one of these clubhouse uh, things one one night with um, Grandmaster Flash. Wow. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I was just like, oh my god, because <laughs> I never really knew him back then. Because I was in the, see the thing was I was in the studio with all these superstars, and they were doing very well. So why would I look anywhere else? He says to me. Yeah, man, you know, we was up there and we was doing these records that do this and do that. And I'm thinking, and he kind of was talking to me kind of like, you don't know that. That's how he was talking to me. And I was thinking, I wouldn't know it because I'm I'm making top number one records of the of the regular things that we all knew and grew. I didn't know y'all was in the streets forming this new thing. I didn't have to hunt. I'm in the middle of it. So I when he said that, I was like, wow, that's an interesting perspective. You guys did it because you weren't a part of that and you were creating your own new, which is very important. When you're creating your own new, there's nothing like it in the world. Um, it, it, there, there, there really isn't. You know, it's like almost like when I ran into Timberland, it's like we were creating our own new. There wasn't anybody around us. We weren't trying to copy. We were just doing what we were doing. And that's when it's the most fun. But, but to back up a little bit, uh, towards the end of the 80s, I was going to London a lot. I, you know, I was searching, trying to figure out what's, what's going next, but I wasn't looking in the street. And I got to be honest, I don't know if I was really, really feeling rap like that. You know, my little nephews and stuff, they, were, they would turn me on to it. And I'm going, yeah, but you just, they're just singing over somebody's record. That bothered me at first. I, you know, I know a lot of talented, great musicians. I'm like, why don't they just play their own music? But that's not what's up. That's not what's going to be up. And I had to learn to understand all that. But there was a thing before the digital recording revolution, there was a couple, there was two items that were really important. There was a Sinclair, Sinclair and there was a, uh, a Fairlight. And both of these instruments would allow you to sample audio so that you could go, and you would change the picture. All the stuff that anybody can do right now for probably 50 bucks. These machines costed, the Sinclair costed uh, $250,000. The Fairlight costed about this, uh, uh, a good $200,000. Herbie Hancock had them. Stevie Wonder had them. All the big people with big money had them, but it was a different learning curve. It was no longer analog. It was a digital, and it was a different way of thinking. I spent about two years. I took two years off. Atlantic happened to own one of these machines, and nobody was using it. And I was like, you get out of here. So I, I delegated myself to just teach myself how to use this machine. So I started doing that way before everybody else was. So I wasn't really worried. I wasn't really dealing with the content. I was dealing with the concept. And that was amazing, except that in that period of time, Avid and all these other, well, they weren't called Avid, Pro Tools and so forth. They were able to make it for the common man. So where I had elitism, and I felt, oh, I'm on the mountain. I won't be caught for a while. Suddenly, little kids are coming to the door with their little Pro Tools, and they're doing the same thing I'm doing. Maybe it's not as glorious, but the concept. Now, now we start to get back to the content. That's kind of a piece of my life that was um, that had me like lost for a minute. You know, as 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 the new the new rap thing was happening, I wasn't really called on to be a part of it. Like you know, like this technology I was talking about. There's one thing I did one time with a Heavy D. And I remember I was using this crazy machine because he wanted, you know, he wanted, he could have it. But he said to me, <laughs> he said, K, 
can you do a can you do a scratch? Can you make it scratch or whatever? And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? Understand, I'm not in the clubs <laughs> in the street. I'm like, what is he talking about? And he's like, you could do this and that. And I'm thinking, what are you in my head? What are you talking about? And all he was talking about was a simple thing from a turntable. And I went to learn that later. And, you know, but it was like, I had this high tech technology, but my content was mm. off. I was missing the meat of what yeah. people were. Like getting down to the the street level where people are actually listening to these records, what's happening there? Right, they didn't care about how great. Because by the way, these machines sounded amazing. They sampled at a hundred k. They played back at a hundred, which is incredible uh, sample yeah. rate for back then. Um, so anyway, yeah, it wasn't about that. It's it's about the content, isn't it? Yeah, and having it resonate, and when people feel it, I think that's what is making this music timeless and all of the records that i saw in your discography i was blown away because i even remember you mentioning in an interview about how we talk about the past and like i'm one of those people i talk about the past talk 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 but it really is a lifestyle when these albums come out like i know for me the most recent one that was a lifestyle change was me hearing ego death for the first time or hearing hive mind for the first time and yeah, like that was um, high school for me. And when I heard it, I was like, man, what is this? Because all these elements of neo soul and jazz and their own take on just how much freedom it felt like they were having as a band, because you don't see that so often in music anymore. There's not a lot of bands and musicians and the front men not being the star, but they're all stars within the group. And um, I would love to hear about some of your favorite, more recent collaborations with modern artists, if there are any that come to mind. So the reason I mentioned what I mentioned is because everybody's kind of not really collaborating. I'm saying you can take your machine home, do everything you need to do, put it together, and then you send it to me and I mix it. Mm. There's no... Oh, like actual coming to you and like shaking your hand, seeing you in person. Well, and even, and, and you know, and suggestions, thoughts, you know, what are you doing? Oh, you know, maybe mm. we try this, maybe we try that. Mm. That doesn't make me the producer, but it's like we can maybe improve in the record. But they're very, very clear about what they want. And they really don't need the interaction. Well, I mean, I'm well, whether they need it or not, I should, I should change the word. They really don't really welcome it because they don't need you because the machine can do everything they want it to do. You know, yeah. if, if, if uh, I'm doing one little piece on strings, actually, I'm going to do. But if you want strings, I don't have to talk to an arranger and have extra budget and do all this stuff. I just go to my little toolbox and I go. I've got strings. So what do I need? All those other people and all that other input. I don't. You know, and that's kind of the. um that's kind of the world that we are in now. And and I've gotten very used to it. And that's mm -hmm. what I do when people send stuff in that whole era of collaboration, like you're saying. Uh, when I mixed the the um, internet, they actually came down to Florida, though. And we spent um, a bunch of days doing it together. I love to hear that. I was like, no, not them. <laughs> okay, cool. Because you know why? they Once again, um, Sid is, is sick with it as a producer Shh. in terms of making the beats and stuff. She's really on it yes there wasn't a lot to do there except for kind of reshape not reshape just kind of you know trim the edges on what she already had mm -hmm. you know what i mean it wasn't a major overhaul at all her stuff is she's pretty awesome yes. you know 
And then you got Steve there in the background, you know, playing playing those the dopeness, right? <laughs> yes. And you, got all, you know, everybody's everybody was dope in the band. They were all they all they were all having their contributions, you know, to the music. And I think that makes a big difference. You know, I'll tell you something interesting about studios. So if I really go back and not really back that far in the day, even in the 80s, whether it's rock and roll bands, funk bands, whatever it is, they would have like, they'd have a roadie, for instance, somebody that goes all this around with them, brings their equipment around and takes care of them, right? They, that's, you know, they pay for that. But the point of the story is this, when we'd be recording, so let's just, let's just say if it was a funk, let's say it was Slave, for instance, okay? So here we are. We kind of do the track. There's three or four of us, and we and I weed it down. We're doing the track. But meanwhile, there's another guitar player sitting there waiting to do something. Maybe one of the vocalists sitting waiting to do something. Um, in their case, Steve Arrington, the drummer, was the vocalist. So he was always involved um, from day one. But my point is there's people around the studio that were all waiting to contribute and do their part. Right? So while we're in there, and then there's the roadie. So then while we're in there, what will happen is while they're all waiting for us to get to the place where we need them, somebody would be like, oh, hey, um, I'm going to go get some food. Anybody want anything? You're like, okay, boom. You're making yourself useful while we're all making ourselves useful at the moment. And I have to say the biggest disparity or difference, A-B, to the modern sessions is a bunch of people come to the sessions which have nothing to do with the music. You see I mean, it all the time. All the time. And they're just a crew of people. And not only that, while you're not doing nothing and hanging out, why don't you go to the store instead of having my assistant, you taking him from me to go order you food. Stop it, guys. Come on. Be yeah. a part of contrib contributing. I know what the contribution is, though. And I really get this too, and I, and 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 I agree with it. The contribution is the hype machine, because in order for the modern artist to get into it, he needs to have his private audience that goes, "That shit was fire," and then <laughs> now he feels good. Yes. And, and I know, and I'm not yeah. I'm not putting it down. I'm going, you know, we all need to do what we need to do to get there, and that's part of the that's part of the new fabric, part of the new landscape of the studio experience. Mm, it's just so interesting to hear from your perspective too and i know that a lot i talked to um, a producer in my last interview and i've spoken with uh, musicians but i haven't spoken to the mixing engineer and i would love to know some of the nuances or you know what it's like to be you in the studio and like just i would love to know because there's so many important parts and i'm sure that i wouldn't enjoy the experience of an album if it wasn't for you and other people who do your job so just i would love to speak to that me like for instance me and timberland we you know because of where i came from and where he was coming from a new youthful outlook with all this stuff i had a, another level of experience and i had another level of like importance it was all very important but i wasn't I was excited. Of course I was. This shit was fire. This shit was crazy. Yes. I never heard nothing like it. Okay, fine. But that being said, at the end of the day, with all the records I've made, it's, I don't mean it like this, but I'm going to say it was just another record. Yeah. Even though it wasn't, but it was. And, it, and, and, and we treated it accordingly. And we just methodically went about doing whatever. When I look back at, our, at what we've done, what the stuff we've done, I'm going, where were you, Jimmy? You missed <laughs> this. 
because we just did so many records and we were just, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? We, we were very methodic about it. Um, we were also very, uh, it was, uh, we were also not partaking in the outside source, in the outside things. I did all that back in the 70s and the 80s. I was like, I had put that away and he wasn't on that page. So we were able to be very efficient with the work because we were very clear minded and very straight ahead. It's like, why are we here? We're here to work. Let's work and let's go home. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, when we would be working or when we'd be mixing, especially I being the senior in the room, I would clear the room out. And basically, and he, and he didn't, he didn't mind. He didn't go the other way and say, no, man, I want pe my people. No, he was just like, whatever Jimmy said. And I was like, yeah, you guys got to go. Cause you're, you're distract, you're just disrupting and distracting us from doing what we need to do, which is just get this right. You know what I'm saying? And the other stuff is cool. You can come in later after we're done and you can dance around and, oh, you know, and, and you know, we can high five. We can do all that, 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 that <laughs> yeah. right now. We need to actually be able to focus on the product and get it right. So that makes basically most of those mixes were just me and Timberland in the room together. Wow. What is, could you speak a little bit more to your relationship with Timberland and even how that uh, you guys became this dynamic duo in the studio? The, <laughs> Timberland, um, uh, uh, I had, that was an interesting sound that just came out. Um, <laughs> I had, uh, like I said, things were a little different towards the, uh, end of the eighties. I started doing a lot of jingles and stuff just to keep it, to survive. I wasn't really invited to the rap game. Um, and didn't really understand it. So wouldn't be invited, but then I was doing a lot of other things. I met this, uh, guy up in Rochester and a studio owner who wanted some urban, he needed, he was trying to get the urban vibe to come up there. Rochester, so, you know, so you might not know, but New York City is New York City, New York, New York. And then in New York State, you go up about six hours, uh, six or seven hours, and there's Rochester. It's next to Buffalo. It's in between Buffalo and Syracuse. So I'm saying, so that's what, that's where Rochester was. And we were down here. And this guy wanted to get people from the city to come up to his studio but he had no urban flavor, you know what I mean? His father used to sell tires and they built a studio around that whole concept. And there's no, there's no funk and, and there's no anything, R&B, there's nothing in Rochester. So he invited me up to do a couple of things for him. And then he ended up getting that call from uh, Devante for Jodeci uh, to do that album, the, um, the, the show, the after party, the party, what, you know, that whole thing. And, um, he um when we walked there they i think they had booked for like six months to make the album turned into two years it turned into like a year but turned to about a year and a half to make that album and then we we're up there for like two years but inside of this crew there was timberland he was part of the the crew as a producer just a young kid man with his asr who was he he did the i don't know what to say i've seen a lot of things in my life i've seen a lot of musicians i've seen a lot of music Tim would do stuff in a way that was just so different and his attitude was different. Mm. He, you know what I mean? He wasn't, he, uh, he wasn't full of himself. And, and, you know, for me, that's major because I've worked with a lot of people. And one thing I can say is this, a lot of great people that I've worked with, they 
are humble because they're great, that is what they are excel at. There's a lot of people that are really, uh, I don't know, I want a polite, nice name for saying like, not cool, because they're compensating for the talent they don't have. And they'll mm. push people around and they'll just be, they'll just be like, dude, why are you acting this way? It's not necessary, you know? Um, Tim was, yeah, he was just there doing this crazy stuff. And we ended up working together in the mid, in the midst of that album. Uh, I decided I did half that album. And then, you know, Devante was a very um, maniacal, <laughs> um, about his mixing. He would like stay there and do it for two or three weeks. He just wouldn't let things go. And I decided, you know what? I don't really don't want to do this because the music is great. The stuff sounds great. And of course it can always sound better, but at a certain point, I always believe you get it or you don't. So the thing is like down there, so there was about three studios. So there was another kid, another engineer who wanted to be next to Devante so bad. He'd never really done anything in his life. You know, me and Devante used to have these conversations all the time. I go, um, yeah, I've done this and I've done that and I've done it. And he, go, and he, he just never, he was that example I, I was saying. He never just listened to me and then he go, you about to have your first platinum album, man. And I'm thinking, I just told you, I got 30 platinum albums. You just don't hear me. No. You're full of yourself. Mm. Um, but that's part of that story. But no, but he, but I, you know, but I, I, I love the guy. But, but the point is, the other kid was excited to be with him. And I was like, hey, why don't you go with him? I think they accomplished maybe about 20 records in the course of the year, maybe 25. We did 300 records in two years. They weren't records, they were demos or whatever. And most of it never got sold the light of day. But just trust me when I tell you, it was the beginning of the same stuff that Timberland was doing. And it was just, we just got to know each other. We just got to be to where it was, we're just doing it. Yeah. It wasn't any, what we are, any whatever. It's just like, you ready? Ready, boom, done, boom, next. I was dope, we were, boom, put that one back up. We were just in sync. Yeah. And so yeah. anything that he worked on, yeah. that became what you worked on, on next. Okay. Exactly. So the Aaliyah, the Missy Elliott. Well, no, no, no. That all came later when we left Jodeci. Okay. Yeah. I'm, that would I'm make talking, sense. we did this, this many records before it was for real. Wow. So we were just basically in school together. Yeah. Locked in. Out, yeah. Learning, you know, what, what's what, that's that. So yeah, when we busted loose, then we, we were, we were like, we were already like up here somewhere. Yeah. Our level of proficiency was just ridiculous. You guys, like, you tweaked the process so much that it just became like a machine between the two of you, it sounds like. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's great. Those are good days. And is that is that kind of collaboration rare or that kind of partnership rare? Um, I don't know if you would call it rare, but um, when you find it, you hold on to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are other people out there that kind of have that kind of synergy. A lot of really good producers have a really good engineer partner mixer that can kind of reinterpret for them when they're when they're there not there like i could fill in for him easily you know in my case producing all the stuff i had done he could leave me with with artists that were, were doing vocals and he didn't have to be there because he already knew i know that's what i do that's what i've done you know what i'm saying so it was a whole nother it was like having an extra co-producer basically Mm -hmm. in the house you know and 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 he was okay with it and i was okay with it i think part of the, our synergy was the fact that 
I didn't feel I had anything to prove to anybody because I'd made a lot of great records with some of the greats. So it wasn't like I was like trying to prove anything. I was just like, you know, oh, this is as long as this is good and it's fun and you treat me like a human being and we treat each other like we're really cool. This is great. Doesn't get no better. Love that. Yes. Yes. Like, and like you were saying, sometimes it just really isn't necessary the way that people can come across. So it's really nice to know. And I, and I see that in just even how open he is to younger artists and people who are up and coming. He'll be on live streams and listening to new uh, submissions from people who are making beats. And I'm just like, that is just so cool. Like, I, I love to know that there's someone who understands that there's a new generation coming up. And it's like, okay, there's they're gonna need guidance and they're gonna need and they're gonna look at you like whoa Timbaland because I mean he he deserves it every little bit of it and it's just really interesting in your story how you said that you weren't invited into rap and you didn't get it but then you end up having credits for Jay-Z and Timbaland and and Pharrell who is another major producer who just put out hits like it was nothing it felt like you know just constant so, yeah, I, I think also part of with with Timberland, what well for for us, um, being like once again the older senior in the room and having seen, there's a bunch of artists I had seen growing up that had lost their fortunes, mm -hmm. um, because Sheaf was one of them actually. He used to do a uh, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he he and he did some Whitney and he did all these things, but I remember. He had amassed a, a, a big fortune, but he was a nice guy. He wasn't nasty, but I noticed he just overindulged. I'll put it that way. And eventually he didn't have what he should have had with with the amount that he made. And I would always talk to Tim because, you know, I think Devante had like 17 cars and all this other stuff. And, I, and, and, you know, and he's a young kid. I think Tim's like 19 at this point. And he's struck by it all. And I was just looking and I go, that ain't it, dude. Like, he ain't gonna be there forever, and I, and and that's a concept that you just mentioned that a young person can't understand. Youth says, "Youth, whether you're making music or just being young, youth says I'll be here forever. This will never go away." And here's me, having been a bit through whatever. It was like it kind of went. I was like, "So, check it out, dude. <laughs> this will not last forever." <laughs> And Tim always, he always remembered that. We always talked about that concept because he would ask me things about it. I go, no, I'm just saying you're there when you're there, but we're not, you know, we're not there forever. There's always going to be a new guy in town, a new gunslinger, as I call it. And he was like, oh, so like, you know, like you, like you mentioned, this thing he's doing um, with uh, auditioning this stuff, it's great. And by the way, that personality he's doing, it's, it's not made, that's, that's classic prime Timberland. <laughs> that's him. That's who he was when he was the young guy that made me just go, you are different. Like, you, don't, <laughs> you don't hold back no punches. He doesn't. He doesn't. I love how he'll just turn off a song if he's not feeling it in the first three seconds. He's like, this is not it. Click. And then <laughs> I love the honesty because it's so true. He doesn't want to hold back. And then that's why his opinion is just so revered because, whoa, he's really messing with this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But that's awesome. Um, what would you say is your favorite part of mixing and why you stuck with it, even though you were exposed to so many other aspects of production? Well, so the thing is, you know, with the machines and stuff and making beats and stuff like that, 
there was a bit inside of me that wasn't quite excited because I told you I worked this in clavier I could do all these things but I was missing the practice time of messing with the content on little machines mm-hmm. like an MPC um somehow my t- I was still the engineer let, so let me let me this is very interesting so around this period of time in the, the 80s I, I put a studio in my house which was a whoa, big thing you know I had a little board there in my house um i built a section my kids had to go to their bedroom and whatever they, it was i kind of put my family out but i had that i had a tape machine and i had my record collection and this is a true story of what happened to me i started inviting young kids to come with they had a thing called the village voice there was no internet so i would just mm-hmm. advertise hey come be with a guy who's done amazing things come let him make your records and then all these rappers i get they come and they would this is exactly what happened they would um they sit there and be amazed at what i have done in my life and then they go they grab a record or two from my record collection which was sick of course it was sick i grew up with it making i mean i collect all this shit since i'm a kid and it's all fine i want to see it <laughs> and they go and they go oh oh put that put that on there and then like, and i play pieces they go yeah yeah that thing right there and they like a little drum piece, whatever. They go, yeah. They go, yeah, yeah. Record. I record it to the tape, and they go, oh man. And then I would copy it, and then make it go a couple times. And they go, oh man. You know, it just needs a little. You want a drum? I put a drum on it. Poof, poof. They go, yeah. That's hot. You know that thing? Ting, ting. That thing. Oh, hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put some of that. I put some of that on there. Maybe whatever. And then they go, oh, you a dope producer? And I would look at them and go, I wasn't producing. I was just engineering. Like, you guys picked all the stuff. So that flipped over to now the new producers, the guy who picks the stuff and puts it in his machine. And that's that. So that that was for me a learning period, a learning uh, period where I learned, oh, this is called new production. And it took me a while to get used to it because I was an elitist. Understand. I came from a world where, you know, the drummer's coming, the bass player's coming, the guitar player's coming. You go, you put mics up, you do all this stuff to make it work. You no longer have to do that. And it took me a while to just kind of get into the fact and and let go of my elitism that I used to have and understand the new youth enjoys it this way. I don't know if I lost my trend of thought there, but I I hope that can no it did it did connect and a new producer i just think that that's an interesting viewpoint on it because having had such a extensive career where you are working with you said the hot 100s and even back then that was different than what a hot 100 means today where it's like like you're saying you bring in the these orchestras sometimes and you're dealing with composers and arrangers and the talent is out of this world um, and like today, it's we're selecting different sounds and putting them on top of each other. And there is a, a level of arranging and, and production there. I, I would say there's some artists who I love who are taking what the past has done, like Ty the Creator. He'll have like real strings in his work. Same with uh, the producer I talked with in my last interview, Flower Child. He had strings that he was arranging in his work. And I just think it's so amazing to hear it. And, and I... Even though I wasn't there, I can resonate with the fact that there, that timeless feeling, the feeling of it being 
human and you can tell that they felt something really crazy when they were creating this and they're pushing it and sharing out into the world and that's i think the essence of what soul music is like you feel it in your heart of hearts and um i don't think that that's missing but you do have to look for it more than i think you ever had to because it was just getting served up on radio i feel like back in the day whereas now it's like you have curators and now I'm curating things and I didn't even mean to be in this space in my life. I'm like, this is just what I like to hear and the people are looking for it. Um, so I, I really hear you on that. Well, you know, what you said about the radio, um, to be fair, it's no different than it ever was. Mm. It was crowded. There was so much talent. And it was so crowded. And to get on there is still the same stuff you need. The promotion here, but ba ba Everything had to still be in place. The problem is now there's just more available to, to more people, like more means, right? Especially the internet and all the different ways of getting your own publicity. Yeah. And there's more people doing it. And there's less radio stations that make, a, make any difference, actually. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. What do you hope would be brought back or like an element of past even working in a studio that you would love to have see see again, I guess, or have come back? That's a really interesting question. That was put very interesting because I don't really want to see anything again. I want to see what's coming next. I and I'm, I and love I'm that. all honesty. That's that's what excites me to see. So, yeah, so so I've been talking about how people kind of do it a certain way now. So I know what to expect. I know what the engineer does. Oh, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Wait, time out. Why are we doing it again? Oh, so in your head, you're going to do it until you figure it out. When If we talk about it, maybe I can help you get there quicker. Like a, like a, a director of a film. It's like, uh, why am I doing this act part again? Give it more, da, 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 do this or do that. Thank you. Okay, that's advice. So now we're all watching it with the same eyes as to why it works or doesn't work. When you're standing there doing it over and over and over again yourself, after a while, it's like, I'm disinterested. I heard a bunch of them that sounded good on the way in, but we're not talking about it. We're not sharing it. So it's a one-man process. It's not a collaboration. Um, I'd like to see more of the future people doing stuff, if you're going to be in the studio, which you don't have to. If you're going to be there sharing the energy together, because it listen to me, recording the whole thing about music, it's all energy. And I have this really crazy statement that I don't know if it really holds any water. Sometimes I feel it and sometimes I think you're just talking shit to me. But, um, you know, digital has no energy. If you think about it, it's ones and zeros. It's not even real. It's digits. And they put it together. Whereas when you go to a piece, I'm not, I'm not suggesting we all go back to tape, but when you go to a piece of tape, it's literally magnetic impulses going on the tape. That's energy. And so what we try to say, oh, it sounds, feels different. I'm like, it does feel different because something happened in that transformation that was a natural transformation that's still inside of frequencies and magnetic uh, pulses that, as the earth has as opposed to a formula, which is, this is a one and a zero, one and a zero, and then that puts it together and there's and there's no, and, and the other thing about analog is like, 
you cannot duplicate any of that. Even when you duplicate it, copy it, it's not exact. With digital, everything is exact. There's my first problem. Like, I don't want to hear what I heard. I don't know if you, well, yeah, you, you say you like those older records. Part of what's great about them, to me, is when you like, especially when you have the backgrounds and stuff, and then towards the end, the ad libs get weird, and then they even change the background part because they, yeah. You know, and part of that is because they were all standing at the mic together, doing this part, and suddenly they all felt it's getting stale, and somebody just changes a part, and they all go with it, and then next thing you know, there's the magic. Yeah. So, once again, I'm not connecting these dots very well, but I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's clear you know what you're talking about, and it's coming across because I just love to hear, I mean, your perspective. I think anybody who has done the work that you've done and what I like to hear is how you think about it, like how you said that you and Timbaland have uh, created something that was so efficient, like this meticulous machine, and even your perspective on how music has shifted in the process of making it. I think it's all really um, valuable to to get that perspective. And I have a, a question that's actually from my little cousin. He's a producer and he's going to school for production. And I asked him, I was like, I'm talking to Jimmy Douglas because he and Timbaland actually have some sort of relationship where he was on his little live streaming show and it actually like became this incredible thing. And not little, very big, very big deal. Very proud of him. I'm the proud big cousin. And um, so he is asking that when you are approaching different genres, do you have a specific way that you approach a certain genre or is it a unique, unique mix every time? So that's a really, that's a really good question, by the way. And, and I think I can actually answer it the way I answer it. Part of, part of my way of mixing, and I'll say unlike the modern mixer, like everybody has these templates before they start. Like before they even start, they've already put you in a particular box and they basically put you inside of their box and mix the record. You're, you are basically conforming to them. I, because of where I came from, I was mixing jazz. I was mixing rock. I was mixing R&B. I was mixing, you name it. And, th and there was a studio. And now all I had was like the music in front of me to tell me where to go. So I've developed that habit along the way of like, the music dictates to me what I do, and I can't tell you before I do it what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I could tell you, but I'm just saying in general, my inclination is to lean, you know, propensity is to lean towards what you got. What's your music doing for me? How's this making me think? How's this making me feel? And that's how I do it. And I know, I when I say I know, I know with the fast modern pace, you know, um, Hotshot engineers, they're just about making that money and getting that thing in the door and getting it out. But I'm like, ah, I'm not really in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Plus, I'm making a cut. <laughs> what is your main motive then behind it? If it's not about the hurry or it's not about a certain amount of streams, what is your own personal motivation towards approaching every song or every record? Well, my personal motivation is like, I really don't understand what I'm supposed to do until I hear what's there. And that's, that's just, that's the, that's the guy in me that's always been able to be open. Because mm -hmm. when you're not, then you're gonna, you're gonna miss out on many, many things. The other part is like, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, um, 
it, it, things are moving really quickly and really fast. And, uh, and, and everybody kind of wants you to sound like everybody else. And I'm like, I can do that. It just doesn't, doesn't make me feel anything. You know, I mean, it makes me feel when I when I nail a record that sounds like whatever record and it's I mean, of course, it makes me feel good. But in general, aiming for that doesn't make me feel what makes me feel good is to be able to enjoy music with somebody and just and just do it. And, you know, it's 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 a it's a, a thoughtless process. And so when you're asking me, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the answer like that. Mm-hmm. I just know that I grab it and I start doing it, you know, and. It sounds like you enjoy the process. Yeah. Like you love the process that it's a lot of curiosity and just taking it as this unique new thing that you're like, okay, well, let's help this thing to form or, or I guess just be open or not what it becomes. Yeah. (laughs) Or not. Is there any, um, I guess, recommendations for a song that you feel like is masterfully mixed or engineered by someone um, who isn't yourself or like any mixing engineers that you would say are the mixing engineers engineer? Well, I think that um, <clears throat> I think the mixing engineers engineer mixer would be arguably Serban. Um, he's gotten it down to a science that's unbelievable. Um, and there's a whole bunch of others in LA, you know, you have, um, I could go down the list, but then if I go down the list, I'm going to leave a lot of people out. So I'm not going to go down the list. Is that fair? That's very fair. Because, because there's a lot of really good dudes out there. And then there's, you know, there's a lot of people doing this thing. Could you speak uh, a little bit about Sarah Bin? Is that the person's name? Sarah Bin. Could you speak a bit about um, their work? I'm going to say Serban probably has probably every time you look at the top 10, the top pop top 10 he's probably got three records in there probably every week wow you know he does those records they that he they send them to him and you know he does a great job not saying he's doing different anybody else can do but he's the guy he's got the whole everything you've been asking me he figured it all out he figured out how to make this whole thing a process and a science and he figured out why are you doing this I got lazy. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, look, it beats the heck out of like walking the streets and hitchhiking, I guess. <laughs> um, that's not a good answer, though. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's something nobody does anymore. Hitchhiking, huh? See? Right. Look. When I was a wee little guy. You, you could do that. You could actually hitchhike. That's so crazy. That was, when you think about it, that was crazy. But, you know, people. They kind of digitized it because Ubers and Lyfts, like Ubers and Lyfts, it's kind of like hitchhiking. But you got to pay for those, though. Yeah, true. It's not, yeah. No, not the essence of a free ride, putting your thumb up. There's a whole thing to it. You know, you get in there, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to it. Oh, that's what a cool place, man. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going there before. Now I'm going just because I get a free ride. Man, <laughs> that is a different time. That is a different time. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I honestly would love to give you an open-ended question of like, what would you um, love people to know about your career or just even what you do on a daily basis, just, I I guess there's so many interviews or when people have their prepared questions, but sometimes you don't feel like you get something off of your chest and what you want other people to know about you, so. Well, I like I said earlier, the book is coming. Okay. That's really, that's really major. Oh, and while we're here, I believe they're having this, I don't believe, 
ABC is having a special next week on the 14th or the 12th. Well, would it be the 14th, Wednesday, from, ugh, I think it goes on, it's, you'll see it in your name, it's about Aaliyah, actually. Okay. And, uh, and I think I appear in there. And I'm just mm -hmm. mentioning it because I think it should be pretty good. I didn't really get to see it, and I hope I don't end up with donkey ears <laughs> no. stuff. But I'm just thinking I'm I'm interested in, in seeing um you know because it was a little uh movie thing they did for her, which mm -hmm. people kind of were like yeah whatever. Um, and this is just uh different interviews and stuff. Amazing! I didn't even hear about that, so I definitely would be checking that out. It should be interesting. Yes. Well, thank you so much um, for this conversation, for everything that you were willing to share with me. That's our time. Um, but really, it's an honor to speak with you, and I hope it's not the last. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, really cool talking to you. Really good speaking to you. Thank you. You too. Hey, it's Brooks again. Thank you so much for listening to Soul Sugar Conversations, the minds behind timeless R&B and soul music. I hope that you learned something new, learned something that's worth sharing, or just felt like your curiosity was satisfied as a fan and a lover of soul music, because that's why I have these conversations, because it does something for me. Oh no. If you'd like to support for free, you can do so by following Soul Sugar Joint on TikTok and on Instagram. I have the same profile picture that I have in my cover art for this podcast. And if you got a little spare change, you can purchase my merch on my website, soulsugarjoint.com, the place where you can find playlists, articles, and it's just the hub for everything Soul Sugar Joint. Thank you so much again for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Peace.